Hey everyone, this is Matt and welcome to a brand new series on living in the goodness of God. We're going to be going through Psalm 23 in this series, which is the most famous Psalm in the Bible, because it's all about God's goodness and it gives us nine ways that God wants us to be good in our life, which we're going to cover during this series. But is it really true that God is good all the time? I mean, we have been through some massively negative times in each of our lives, let alone painful, conflict-filled, grief-filled times. And then the question has to be asked, is God really good? Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. If you're a Christian, that means you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and you believe in him, that he is forgiving everything you have done and will do wrong in your life. You become a part of his family, his child, and you now live for God and you trust in him. And God's love changes you. However, when a Christian doesn't focus on God's goodness, it causes all kinds of stress, all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulty in their lives. The lack of focusing on God's goodness is the major cause of stress in your life. One way to understand God's goodness, the Bible tells us, is actually not just by reading the Bible or listening to it or hearing a message on it, but actually worshiping. Psalm 34, 9 says, worship God if you want the best, because worship opens the doors to all God's goodness. But what happens if we forget it? What happens if we forget God's goodness in our lives? Well, there's going to be four negative consequences. The first one is that I start claiming credit for things that God did for me. And when I do that, I head down a path that causes a lot of depression, stress, and actually quick judgment from God. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a very rich man who has been very successful, made a lot of money, and one day he's surveying his business empire. He's a billionaire. He's mega rich. He's got it all together. And he says, look what I've done with my life. Talk about being proud. Look at what I've accomplished, all the wealth that I've amassed. Isn't it great? And what am I going to do with all this? I couldn't possibly spend it. I'll tell you what, I'll just build bigger barns to store it all in. Sounds like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> he doesn't give God any of the credit. He takes it all on himself. He, he thinks that he did it all by himself. And the Bible says, God says to the rich man, you fool. Tonight you're going to die, and I'm going to give everything you have amassed to somebody else who will appreciate it and express their gratitude. It's a sober warning. If I were to ask you, what is the worst sin you could commit? I wonder what would be in your top 10. What would be the most worst sin you could commit? Some of you might say, well, it's some sexual sin. or No, it's got to be murder. Or maybe it's being greedy, coveting, or abusing people in order to get money, things like that. No, it's none of those. You know what the number one worst sin is? It's prideful ingratitude, not being grateful to God for his goodness. The Bible talks about it over and over again. Pride is what is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Acts 12, 21 through 24 says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Wow. Talk about instant karma. 
God didn't take his life because he was immoral, which he was. God didn't take his life which, because he was greedy, which he was. God didn't take his life because he probably had people killed, which he did. God didn't take his life because he lied to the people. God said, you are ungrateful and you're setting yourself up. I did it all for myself. You see, the problem with the self-made man is that he worships his maker himself. I did it all. When you do that, you're skating on thin ice. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I built this business with my bare hands. Well, who gave you those hands? I thought up the business plan totally by myself. Who gave you your mind? I worked for where I got today, and I worked by the sweat of my brow. Who gave you the ability to sweat? Everything you have in your life, you owe to God. You would not take your next breath if it weren't for his goodness. You wouldn't be sitting here right now listening except for his goodness. You wouldn't exist if God hadn't been made you to love you. Literally everything in your life, the ability to see, the ability to hear, the ability to eat, the ability to do all different things, God gave you those abilities. God says, I want you to be grateful to me and realize never forget how good a God I am. That everything you have in your life, your freedom, your thoughts, everything you've got is because I gave it to you. You wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have the ability to work. That's one thing in my life I, I, I can honestly say that I'm really thankful to God for because I look back at my life and to be honest, I shouldn't be alive. I've been in so many accidents where I should have died. I mean, I hit a car on a bike and totaled it. I hit a car on a motorcycle, totaled it. <laughs> Both times I should have been dead. The second time I was mere seconds away from death. I've fallen asleep on a bike. I've woken up in my house where I drove for 20 minutes. I don't remember it. I, I woke up lying in my yard with the bike crashed on the ground. How did I get home? I don't know. It's all God's goodness, only by his grace. I'm still alive. So I look back at my life and go, you know what? I don't have anything that I've done by myself. It's, it's by God's grace that I'm still even here. Did you know that ingratitude is actually one of the roots of atheism? That when I'm ungrateful, that I start excusing myself and dismissing and even denying God. Romans 1, 20 and 21 says this, since God created everything, people have always been able to see his goodness and power in nature. For instance, we don't have to have the Bible to know a lot about God. All you have to do is walk outside. I mean, look at it. For instance, we know God loves variety because look at all the different flowers and plants and animals he's created. We know that God is organized by looking at the universe. We know that God likes systems. He creates the plant and animal system, kingdoms, solar system. God is powerful just by looking at nature. Look at volcanoes and oceans and hurricanes. Look at the sun, the moon, and the stars. We know a lot about God just by looking at nature. I don't know about God. I've never read the Bible, but the Bible says since God created everything, people have been able to see his goodness and his power in nature. So we have no excuse. I have to live in denial to deny God because the design of the world and the universe is evidence of a designer. And whenever you have creation, you must have a creator. It doesn't just happen. If I were to walk down a mountain and I saw a rock out of place, I might say, oh, that's an accident. If I were to walk down a mountain and I see an iPhone, that's no accident. Somebody designed that iPhone. That's the evidence of design. In one trillion years, that would never just come together on its own. It takes more faith to, to not believe in God than to believe in God. You have to suspend reality. It takes more faith not to believe. Where there's design, there's evidence of a designer. That's 
it's called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. It's one of six philosophical arguments that don't even use the Bible to prove that God exists. It's not a perfect argument, but it's pretty good. He says in nature, we've seen these things. If you don't want to believe in God, you want to be God. You don't want someone telling you what to do. Romans one twenty one, the very next verse. They know God exists, but they don't give him credit for it, for all he's made. And they're ungrateful. That's the big problem. Their thinking becomes confused and their hearts fill with darkness. And they think they're wise, but really they have become fools. You see, this line into unbelief actually begins not with unbelief, but ungratefulness. I'm ungrateful for all that's God done in my life. Do you know the Bible also says that this idea of not focusing on God's goodness, being ungrateful, is one of the signs of the last days. Second Corinthians three or Second Timothy rather, three two, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed. Okay? You know anybody like that? Money hungry, self-promoting, and arrogant, profane, rebellious, ungrateful. There's ungrateful in that long list of sins. And have no respect for what is sacred. Does that sound vaguely familiar for our culture? You can see every one of these. Now, God wants us to remember the source of our success. That's why when you're blessed as much as you are living in America, having so many of your needs already met, never forget that God is the source of everything good in your life. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that God hasn't given you? It's literally nothing. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, the first thing that happens when I deny, when I forget God's goodness, I start claiming credit for stuff that I actually didn't do. God did it through me, and he even gave me the abilities to do it. Here's the second negative consequence. When I forget God's goodness, I stop asking God for help. That's a big problem because when you forget how eager God is to help you, how good God is, you start depending on yourself and you stop asking God for things in prayer. God wants to help you. Over 20 times in the Bible, in the New Testament, we're commanded to ask. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. The Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. Over and over, God wants you to ask. You say, well, I only want to bother God with the big stuff. I don't want him to give him the small stuff. <sighs> You're thinking in your terms. Everything is small to God. None of your requests are big. It's no big deal. Every request is small in his power. God says, I want you to ask. When you forget God's goodness, you know what happens? I can tell you. Your prayers become weak, wimpy prayers. They're just rote. You're not asking God for anything. You're just mouthing words you don't even mean. You don't even ever ask God for anything. You're not specific. You don't say, God, I need money for this car payment. God, I need help over here. I got a conflict in, with this person. Help me out in this situation. That's what happens when you forget the goodness of God. So how do you learn to trust God? Do you trust God more than you did, say, six months ago or a year ago? Some of you would say, no, actually, I don't. I think I'm kind of stuck. I don't think I trust God anymore. I don't think I trust God more than I did years ago. You know what that means? You've stopped asking in prayer. You're not growing in trust because you're not asking God for anything. The more you ask, the more God can meet your needs. The more he meets your needs, the more you grow in trust. How does God grow in faith and trust in your life? The exact same way a child learns to trust a parent. It's the exact same process. 
There's a famous circle called the circle of security where on how children learn to trust their parents. And you have to go through this circle thousands or tens of thousands of times growing up. And the circle of security, this is how parents teach their children to trust them. First, the child recognizes they have an unmet need. I'm at the bottom of the stairs. I got to get to the top. I can't get there. I need help. The child, step one, recognizes an unmet need. Step two, the child expresses that need. They usually do this by what? Crying, yelling. They don't have words yet. They can't let you know that their diaper is wet or I'm hungry or I'm bored and I can't get out of my crib. They let you know by crying. They have a need. Then they express the need. The step three is the parents meet the need. They pull you out of the crib. They change your diaper. They feed you. They soothe you. Whatever. The parent meets the need. The result of the parent meeting the need is number four. The four, the child learns to trust the parent. That's the circle. You personally have gone through this circle maybe 100,000 times growing up. You figured it out. When I cry, I get mom's attention or dad's attention. When I complain about a need, it gets met. Every time that need was met in your life, you learned to trust your mom or dad a little bit more. That cycle is the exact same way God teaches us to trust him. If you have an unmet need in your life, you express that unmet need, God meets that need, and you learn to trust him more. You do it again and again and again. So if you're not expressing your needs to God, you're not growing in trust, which is the only way you learn. The reason I can trust God the way I do today is because he's met millions of needs in my life. When I've asked, I know he's reliable and can be counted on. And if you're not praying prayers of request, this is why God asks, I want you to ask. He knows it's the way you learn to trust him. It's the exact same way God teaches you. So if you're not asking God to meet your needs through prayer, you're not going to learn to trust him. So how long has it been since you've said something like this to God? God, I know you're a good God. I know you want to meet my needs. Well, here's a big one. Then you tell him about what's on your mind, what's upset you. There's nothing too big or too small. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And worry won't solve it, but prayer will. You ask God, then you wait patiently for God's timing to deliver. Now, God rarely gives you an answer immediately, rarely, because he wants to test your faith. God is not a vending machine where you, you put in a prayer and you pull the plug and you instantly get it. If, we, if God did that, we would become incredibly self-centered and selfish. God wants you to wait because waiting helps you grow. You see, every child has to learn the difference between no and not yet. They're not the same thing. See, immaturity means when I tell you, can we go to the beach? And I say, yes, but not yet. You get mad because it's not immediate. It didn't mean no. A delay is not denial. That's maturity when you understand the difference between a delay and a denial. God won't always give it to you immediately. He wants you to wait. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you as an imperfect parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? You have not because you ask not. I lost my wallet the other day. I didn't think of asking God for something that small. I can find it myself. I don't need to bother God with that, but I spent hours looking for that wallet and eventually I gave up because I couldn't find it. I asked people for help. Nobody could find it. A little bit later, later, I went out to my wife's car and there it was on the floor mat. Did God know where my wallet was? Yes. Who put it in my mind to go over and sit down and check my wife's car? God did. Because I eventually asked God, God, I need help. <laughs> Please. 
And after praying for like a half an hour and asking him constantly, he put that thought into my mind. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us boldly come to the throne of our good and gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find the grace to help us when we need it. So what's God's motivation in answering your prayers? David tells us in Psalm 69, 16, answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. Everything God does for you, through you, to you, and in you, he does it because he is a good God. God's goodness to you, listen, is not based on your goodness. It's based on his goodness. Because if it was based on your goodness, you'd never get anything. God's goodness isn't based on how good you are. God's good to the bad people. They get to breathe the same air we do. They get to live. They get to ignore God. And he's still good to them. It's not based on your goodness. Saying, I've got to be better than God will answer my prayer. You missed the point. God's goodness is based on his goodness. There's a third negative consequence that happens when you forget how God really is. It's, I stop trusting God in difficult times. If you were more aware of how good God really is, this would be automatic. Every time you need a need, you'd automatically talk to God about it. It's natural. You wouldn't try to solve it yourself first. You'd go right to God. You say, God, I need some help here. I need a job. I need this. I need that. Whatever it is, you just go to God instantly. He's your first choice, not your last resort. Think about it. Which one is it for you? Is it your first choice or last resort? Because if you stop trusting in the, in the difficult times, you know what's going on. Psalm 16, 1 and 2, protect me, God, because I trust in you. You are my Lord, and every good thing I have comes from you. Don't ever forget that. Romans 5, 3, Paul says, you know we have joy even in our troubles, because even when things are going wrong, we can have joy because we know that these troubles are good for us, producing patience and character and hope. See, even in the bad times, God is good. Even in the bad times, God has a good purpose, a good plan, a good reason. Even in the difficult times, I go, God, you're a good God because I know you're going to use this to produce character and patience and hope in my life. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in everything, not some things, it says, not the good things, we know in everything, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. So even when times are tough, I know God's good. I know he has a good purpose, a good plan, and he's working it out for good. Not everything that happens in your life is good. Oh no, there's a whole heck of a lot of bad. God can take even the bad and then bring good out of it. And that builds trust in him. There's one other negative consequence when you forget how good God really is. You just forget it. You start claiming things for that God did that you didn't do. You stop asking God for help. You stop trusting God in difficult times. And the fourth thing that happens when you forget God's goodness is I become pessimistic about the future. You lose hope because hope is based on the goodness of God. Because if God isn't good, there's no hope. David tells us in Psalm 20 section, the connection between hope and the goodness of God. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's like, man, there'd be no hope if God wasn't a good God. We're up a creek without a paddle. I would have been in despair, but, I, but he did know that God was a good God. He says, instead, I thought, wait for the Lord. I don't see the answer right now, so I'm just going to wait. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yeah, wait for the Lord. He says, don't get in a hurry. 
God is a good God. You've made the request. Now just relax, chill, wait. The difference between a delay and a denial. You ever do this? You ever in so much of a hurry, you don't have time for God to give you the answer? When there's something you want to buy and it's really important, do you give God an opportunity to give it to you first? I don't even think about it. I go out and put it on my credit card. I buy something I want with money I don't have. You know what happens then? You're in debt. Most of your problems in life come from your inability to delay gratification. I want it and I want it right now. That's being called immature. That's what babies say. I want it now, mom. That's immaturity. I become pessimistic about the future. I would have despaired. Now listen, if you're fighting depression these days, if you're fighting discouragement, or you're fighting doubt or despair, I'm gonna tell you to do two things. Number one, start focusing on all the ways that God has done, has been good to you. Get your eyes off the problems and get your eyes on all the things that God has done for you. Make a list, count your blessings, write them down. I've done this before. I was shocked at how many times that I mentioned earlier that God saved my life. How many shocked how many times that he miraculously brought me through difficult situations. And not to mention all the day-to-day stuff that I had. Make a list of all the ways that God is good in your life and focus on it. Because what makes us feel depressed, despair, doubt, and sad is focusing on the wrong things in our lives. And that makes us minimize how great God has been in our lives so we lose hope. To gain hope back, we focus on the goodness of God. Number two, okay, don't miss any podcasts in this series. This is going to be a hope dispenser, hopefully, for many weeks to come. It'll definitely be encouraging. It'll definitely be inspirational. It'll definitely raise your level of hope. So don't forget, God is good. And don't lose sight of that. And next week or next pod, we will look at an overview of the nine ways God's goodness appears in our lives from Psalm 23. And then we're going to go into detail in each one of those. So I hope you will have an amazing day this week, an amazing week. God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.